Hey everybody, thanks for joining me again on the Bible and Life podcast. I trust that uh, you're experiencing the goodness and the grace of God today wherever you are at. Today we're going to talk about on this episode what I think is one of the most vital, crucial practices to our life as human beings for us to experience really joy and peace and flourish as a human being. And so we're going to talk about something that I think is absolutely critical today. But before we jump into that, just a couple notes from kind of my world, my life, and even from the podcast here that I wanted to share with all of you. First is this. My uh, lovely daughter-in-law, Moon, is uh, pregnant with our first grandchild, and uh, she's 38 weeks pregnant, so a uh, little baby is is uh, due to show up anytime in the next couple of weeks, and super excited to meet little Violet when she arrives, and so uh, that's coming up for us and something we're really excited about. Another thing that I, I'm really uh, excited about and wanted to share with you is this. I have been really over the last couple of weeks just praying to the Lord, asking God to really build my faith and strengthen my faith that he's at work in and through this podcast. And I uh, gave him kind of a specific request and said, Lord, would you just humor me and, uh, and honor me in this specific request? And so I've been asking that in one seven-day stretch, one week of the podcast, we would have at least 200 downloads. We've been averaging right around 170. And, you know, we're just getting this thing going and and getting started on it. And so I set a kind of a specific number and I said, by the end of October, Lord, would you just encourage me and build my faith? Let me know that you're at work here. And and uh, could we hit 200 in one week? Well, guess what? We hit 200 in this past week. And uh, the Lord answered that prayer and really built my faith up. And I, I want to thank all of you who are listening and uh, help me get this podcast started. So thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us on that. And one other little note that I uh, wanted to share with you is that I I uh, had asked in one of the episodes here recently just uh, for you guys to like and review and rate and review the podcast as just a way to help kind of promote the podcast with an iTunes search feature and all of that. And so I check the ratings and the reviews occasionally, not super often, but uh, this morning I checked and there was a, a really cool review that I just wanted to share with you because it was super encouraging to me. It said this, it said, John launched his podcast with the Sermon on the Mount, usually a legalist playground, so I was nervous. But instead of C, you'll never measure up no matter how hard you try. It's been, here is God's vision for how things should be. John doesn't focus on how to stop sinning, but on how to cultivate righteousness. It's night and day. One is sowing to the flesh and results in discouragement and condemnation. The other is sowing to the spirit, resulting in his life in us. And I don't know exactly who wrote that review because there's not a name attached to it. And so if you're listening and you wrote that review, I thank you for those positive words. It means the world to me. And it really does capture what I think is the heart of Jesus' teaching and the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, that uh, it's all about cultivating God's righteousness as, as Jesus really paints a picture for human flourishing for us. So uh, I'm glad that's come through loud and clear and just wanted to say thank you to all of you who have written some reviews and who have rated and passed on some encouraging words to me. So thanks for your support. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me today. And as I said, today we're going to be uh, really talking about uh, what I think is a, a really crucial, vital practice for our well-being as humans. And so with that, let's jump right in. Um, and to do so, to set up today's topic, I want to I wanna take you back to um, the summer of 1991. 
In the summer of 1991, I received word that my dad had had a stroke. And just to set the context for, context for that, my dad lived alone. He wasn't able to get to the phone. He had had a had some severe brain damage from a car accident and had to learn how to walk and talk again. And so he was on medication for all of that. And so here he was, and he had had really this stroke as a consequence of that brain damage, wasn't able to get to his medication, wasn't able to get to a phone, and uh, was fighting for his life for uh, really a handful of days before a friend found him, and he hung on for a week in the hospital before he died. And what you need to know is this is my father, but I barely knew him. He left when I was three and a half, and I didn't see him again until I was seven. And between the ages of like seven and 20, I saw him maybe six or seven times. Um, mostly he would show up for an hour or two and take us kids somewhere, buy us a toy. And it really felt like as I got older that it was just his way of making himself feel better, making his conscience feel better. But there really was no relationship. And it raises, in a lot of ways, a really important uh, question, you know. I mean, he left home when I was three and a half years old. So what do you do with a man who never paid child support to help a single mom raise three kids on a secretary's wage? What do you do with a, a dad who was never there to teach you what a man is supposed to be? What do you do with a dad who was never there to say, I'm proud of you, son, and fill you as a little boy with the pride from knowing you made your dad proud. What do you do with a dad who showed really no interest in his family and demonstrated total selfishness, but then comes to your wedding and tries to give you marriage and family advice on your wedding day? What do you do with somebody who really has wronged you and wounded you and hurt you in that way? Well, what we're going to talk about today speaks into that situation. It really tells us what to do in that situation. And once again, it's wisdom from Jesus for human flourishing. It's wisdom for our life that we desperately need because being hurt, being wrong, both in small and in big ways, is just part and parcel of life in this world. And Jesus really has... Um, in some ways, some striking words here for us in just two passing little phrases at this point in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Let me read it to you, and let's just kind of process what Jesus says. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says this, For if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father in heaven will not forgive your transgressions. There are several things about that that are just really striking to us. Obviously, the, the challenge between our willingness to forgive other people and God's forgiveness of us. There's a connection there. And we even saw that when we looked through the Lord's Prayer that Jesus said, Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us or who are indebted to us. And so we saw it there. And this theme really kind of is all throughout Jesus' teaching that there is some sort of interplay, some sort of connection between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of other people. And so we need to really wrestle with what is that connection. And again, it's just all throughout Jesus' teaching. You hear it at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That mercy begets mercy, right? That those two things really go together. Um, you see it in a parable in 
Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus tells a story to make this very same point that there's this interplay. In Matthew 18, it's a story of a guy who was indebted to a, a wealthy kind of patron or a wealthy ruler in his area. Um, he owed him, Jesus says, 10,000 talents. Talents is a whole bag of money. I mean, he it's a, it's a ridiculous, absurd amount. There's no way he could have paid it back. And so he owed this guy this absurd amount of money. There's really no way he could pay it back. The, the person he's indebted to comes and he really kind of demands his pay, pay me back, pay what you owe. Uh, the man who's indebted to him falls on his face and begs for mercy. And the man forgives his debt. Well, that tells us something about the nature of forgiveness, that the essence of forgiveness is uh, for, forgiving a debt, canceling a debt, letting somebody uh, go free from paying what they owe. That's the nature of forgiveness. Well, what happens in that story is this. The man um, is forgiven his debt. His debt is canceled. And then he goes out and he has somebody who owes him some money. And it's a relatively small fee compared to the 10,000 talents. And he is harsh and he demands complete payment. And he won't stop. The, the person that owes him money falls on his face, begs for for forgiveness, begs for mercy. And he won't give him any mercy. And word gets back to uh, the person that he owed 10,000 talents to. And now that person is like, dude, you you got mercy from me, but you won't give mercy to this fellow who owes you just a tiny little bit. And then all of a sudden he's like, well, then you owe me. Pay back that, that, that 10,000 talents. And this theme of this connection between um, God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of other people is really central to Jesus' teaching. And it's terribly important for us to think about and think through clearly. Peter Kreeft, in one of uh, his uh, books, his books on Christian virtue, actually says this. He says, suppose God tried to reward an unmerciful man with mercy. It simply couldn't be done. Not because God would withhold the gift, but because the hardened human heart wouldn't receive it. Only those who are open to giving mercy are open to receiving mercy and vice versa. And that's really the connection. The connection is that there's something about the nature of mercy and forgiveness that if we have truly received it, we will truly give it. It is truly the gift that keeps on giving. We're given this gift of mercy and forgiveness and then we keep giving it. And if we won't keep giving it, well, that says something really about having received it. In order to receive God's forgiveness, we must humble ourselves and beg for God's mercy and pity and grace. And that act, that act of begging for mercy and forgiveness, when genuine, necessarily shows itself in extending mercy to others, so that to fail to extend mercy to others reveals that we haven't genuinely humbled ourselves and begged for mercy and received forgiveness after all. Um, and that's really at the heart of what Jesus says in these two, these two verses, that if, if you forgive men their transgressions, your Father will forgive you. If you don't forgive, your Father won't. And it's not because that God's kind of this tyrant who's like, well, then fine, right? It's not God's going to take his little red wagon and go home if you're going to be like that. The point is, is the nature of forgiveness in and of itself 
requires us to humble ourselves and beg for mercy. And when we genuinely do that, it so changes our heart that we become the kind of person who gives mercy and who gives forgiveness. And thus, forgiveness begets forgiveness. That's the way it works in Jesus' kingdom. To be forgiven by God leads to forgiving other people necessarily and completely so that there's this interplay between the two. Now, having said all that, I want to just step back and in the next few moments we have together, I want to talk about the nature of forgiveness and forgiving others because this is so central to everything Jesus is teaching us in this this uh, this passage by itself in the Lord's Prayer where he says, forgive as we have forgiven others. When Jesus says mercy, uh, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. That forgiveness, forgiving other people is one of the most distinctive, genuinely Christian things to do. It is one of the hallmarks of followers of Jesus. If we are disciples of Jesus, then one of the things that most marks that out for us is the graciousness and mercy and forgiveness we extend to other people. So I want us to think about the nature of forgiveness. What is forgiveness? What are some things involved in that so that we can actually forgive other people well? And the first thing I want to point out is this. Forgiveness doesn't minimize or excuse other people's wrongdoings. It's not sweeping what other people have done under the carpet. It's not pretending like it's no big deal. Forgiveness actually blames the other person. Forgiveness, in other words, acknowledges that a wrong has been done and that there is a debt to be paid. And so forgiveness holds other people accountable for their actions instead of minimizing or excusing them. There really is a moral debt. Uh, In fact, every time you even see Jesus granting forgiveness in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, he calls sin, sin. He doesn't minimize it. And God doesn't minimize it when he forgives us. In fact, he took it seriously by sending Jesus to the cross. So forgiveness doesn't minimize the debt. It acknowledges the debt. Also, forgiveness, uh, though it doesn't minimize the debt, what it does is it cancels the debt. It dismisses the debt. Can you imagine, say, if your mortgage company just sent you a notice, called you up one day and said, look, we know you still owe $173,000 on your home, but we're feeling extra generous and merciful today. We're just going to cancel the debt. No more mortgage payment for you. Well, that's how forgiveness works. That's that picture that Jesus paints in Matthew 18. Forgiveness cancels the debt. Um, And that means forgiveness is costly. It's costly. If a mortgage company cancels your, your mortgage payment, they pay the cost. They lose that money. That forgiveness always costs. Um, and either you make that person pay what they owe you, or you really absorb the cost yourself. That's how forgiveness works. And thus, forgiveness is always costly. Again, Peter Kreef says, mercy is a minus. It's a minus. Somebody has to pay the debt, and either you're going to make the other person pay, or you're going to absorb the cost yourself. Uh, Next, uh, another little observation about forgiveness is this. Forgiveness is a freely chosen gift. The person you're forgiving doesn't deserve it. They owe you. They're indebted to you. 
um, but you choose not to make them pay, it is a freely chosen gift. And so you choose to let them off the hook. Um, forgiveness, when God forgives us, it's his gift to us. It's not something we've earned. It's not something we deserve. It's a gift. And when we forgive other people, we're giving them a gift. We're letting them off the hook and we're choosing not to make them pay. And then the last observation I want to make about the nature of forgiveness is, is this. Forgiveness is a choice. It's a choice. It's not a process. Uh, it may take us some time to learn how to forgive. It may take some time to work up the courage to forgive. It certainly will take some time to heal from the wound, particularly for larger debts. The, the emotions may not feel like forgiving, and it may take a while for those emotions to, to, to experience the healing of grace and forgiveness. And so it could take a while for, it'll take time for, our, for us to heal from the debt, from the wound. But forgiveness itself is a choice made in a moment. It is a decision and it may have to be repeated and you may have to remind yourself of that time and that place when you chose to forgive, but it is a crisis of the will and we decide I am no longer going to make them pay. I'm no longer going to hold them, hold this against them. I'm going to forgive and I'm going to choose to treat them on the basis of mercy and grace. That's how forgiveness works. Now, our natural instinctive response to that is, well, well, where's the fairness in that? Where's the justice in that? And you're right. Where's the justice in that, right? Um, but here's what we need to know about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not fair. We're not talking about being fair. We're not talking about somebody getting what they they deserve. We're talking about giving them mercy and grace. And when God forgives us, it's an act of mercy. It's an act of grace. And when we forgive others, it's the same thing. And so this isn't fairness. This is mercy. But having said that, here's what we need to, to know. Here's what makes forgiveness really possible and wise for us who are followers of Jesus. It's the cross. At the cross, every wrong that we have done to God and every wrong that was done to us was, was treated with deadly seriousness. And therefore, we know that God is, going to, God is going to handle this, that we can trust God with, uh, with taking care of people. And so when we, when we let people off the hook and not make them pay, we leave them on God's hook. And we know that God is both wise and good and just, and he will do what's right. And we don't have to sort all of that out anymore. The cross makes it possible to forgive. The cross means we look at Jesus and we realize he prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And God, through Jesus, was forgiving us and forgiving the world. And that God wants to bring mercy into this world. And God will do what's right. The cross softens our hearts so we recognize how necessary and good mercy and forgiveness is. And we want to extend that gift to others. And, and really, ultimately, forgiveness is the great solution to pain, hurt, and evil in this world. Once again, just to quote Peter Kreeft, who has some real wise words on this, he says, unless we forgive, we fight. Forgiveness is the only 
road to peace. And so, Jesus, in saying to us that we need to forgive other people, he's really inviting us to become like God. And he's saying, God has been merciful to you and forgiven you through what Jesus did. It cost God an immense amount in sending his son and going to the cross. And God was willing to pay the price so that we could go free. And Jesus is saying, become like that. Open your hands, grant mercy, let other people off the hook, and trust God to deal with them. And God will do what's both merciful and right. And so, my friends, let's be people of mercy. As we have experienced the mercy of God in Christ, let's give mercy to the people around us. For the little things that people do wrong and for the big things that that have happened in our life, let's be people of mercy. And so with my dad, what do you do with a guy like that who doesn't really pay child support, who isn't there to tell his little boy he's proud of them, who is selfish and self-absorbed? What do you do with a guy like that? Well, what I did is I wanted to make sure there was no resentment and bitterness in my heart. And so when I learned that my father had died, I sat in a chair, put another chair facing me, and I pictured my dad sitting in that chair, and I wanted him to know. And I said out loud, Dad, I want you to know that what you did was wrong, and you left a little boy wounded and scarred without a dad, and it hurt. Um, And yet, Dad, I want you to know that I forgive you, and I give you grace. And I think I had already forgiven him before that moment, but I wanted to draw a line in the sand and make sure from that day forward there was no bitterness and resentment in my heart so that I could, I could move forward in life in peace and in mercy. So let's be people of peace and mercy, and let's forgive just as the Lord has forgiven us. God bless you guys. Go in peace and share the mercy of God with the people around you. We'll see you next time on The Bible in Life.